Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. You know our trusted partner, TireRack.com, for their fast, free shipping, free road hazard protection, convenient installation options, and their great selection of best tires, like the highly consumer-rated BF Goodrich All-Terrain TAKO2. But did you know they sell other automotive products? Wheels, brakes, suspension, just to name a few. Go to TireRack.com slash Colin. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. The volume. What is going on, everybody? Three and Out Podcast with me, John Middlecoff. Welcome back. Thanks for coming. Just finished watching a little Raiders-Chargers. Game was good. The Raiders have played, I guess the last five minutes kind of sucked, but for the most part, the second half, it kind of awoke. We had a good game there. Very entertaining. SoFi Stadium. I need to get down there and check it out. That place rocks. It's It's been really impressive. I think a lot of us questioned what the atmosphere would be like. It's been good. Now, unique atmosphere, Raider, a lot of Raider fans, probably like a Raider home game. But still, you have the Rams, the Raiders, obviously the Chargers. Uh, you should just make a couple Raider home games there every year. I guess they got to play at uh, Allegiant too because, you know, Mark Davis, the, the NFL and the casinos have a lot of money invested there. But uh, I, I was very entertained. A L- lot of talent. It hit my mind. Again, a little biased. A lot of talent right now in the NFL west of uh, west of Denver. The uh, NFC and AFC West, a lot of good players in those divisions. Holy moly. Well, I'm going to dive into the game off the top. Uh, some thoughts on Urban Meyer and uh, his apology today. And just, you know, some things that made me a little uncomfortable about the reaction to it all. The Packers are rolling. The Cowboys are rolling. Watch those two games. Very, very impressed. Uh, looked a little bit around. Just flip, Justin Fields had a big game. You know, big game for his standards coming off what he did last week. I just saw a clip on Twitter during Monday Night Football of Miles Garrett against Kirk, uh, Kirk Cousins. Holy, uh, I mean, just that guy, he's an unstoppable force. I don't have really any opinions on that game because it was 7-11 to 11, the majority of the game. But Miles Garrett is an animal. Jim Harbaugh's on fire. 
Of course, Middlecoff Mailbag, at John Middlecoff. I know it probably scared everyone. Instagram down, Facebook down, Zuckerberg lighting the building on fire. I don't know what happened, but fire in my DMs. Get your question answered here on the Middlecoff Mailbag. And uh, you guys know how we do. Also, three and out exclusive podcasts on Monday on the feed. So subscribe to the feed, three and out. If you are subscribed, tell your friends. We're big into grassroots and we're also doing something. I'm recording the podcast live on YouTube, a couple segments every Monday and Thursday on the Volumes YouTube channel. I think on Thursday we'll be at 11 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. Monday we'll be at 2 o'clock. So keep an eye on the YouTube page. Go subscribe if you haven't. YouTube, I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's owned by Google. It's kind of a big deal. But let's dive into the Monday night. Overall, the, the Raiders have played in two Monday night games that were just pretty awesome. Like, I was pretty glued. Now, I'm a little biased. Uh, I, I follow these divisions really closely. Known Carr since he was uh, really in high school at Bakersfield Christian when we had, you know, he was committed to come to Fresno State. Justin Herbert, I've had a soft spot. And let's start with the Chargers. Is It hit me tonight. Like, sometimes luck has to be on your side. We all have to get a little lucky. People often ask, like, how'd you meet Coward? I'm like, on Twitter? <laughs> you know, I, we didn't have, like, some connection. I, I met him through Twitter. I'm sure a lot of people listening, how you met your girlfriend, how you met your wife, like there's some luck involved, especially if you met them out at a bar or at a concert or at an event. Like what if they hadn't have been there that night? What if you had never met them, right? I mean, there is luck involved in life. And when you look at the Chargers, the two most important people in this franchise right now, the quarterback and the coach. Well, let's look how they got the quarterback. They got him six overall. Well, Joe Burrow went one. Joe Burrow's a star. Chase Young went two. Let's face it, he's really good. If the Washington football team, who have a little bit of a problem right now, I don't know if it's on them, but did you see the feds raided their trainer, uh, his offices, his house. He didn't travel to the game. Kind of a weird deal. I guess it's not football related, but uh, something to keep an eye on. They would trade Chase Young for Justin Herbert and Heartbeat. Of course they would. Then the next couple picks, Jeff Akuda, who was terrible before he tore his Achilles, and Andrew Thomas. And then this guy named Tua Tungavailoa, who just isn't very good. There is not a person in this world beside the family of Tua that would take Tua over Herbert. So for the Chargers to acquire, and I was also thinking today, they went from Drew Brees to Phillip Rivers to Justin Herbert. Like Dean Spanos has had it pretty good in the quarterback, uh, you know, room. I mean, that's, it doesn't get that much better. It's not exactly Favre to Rodgers or Manning to Luck, but that's pretty damn good. And they got this guy with pure luck. Because the, the Dolphins are in shambles right now. It's going to go down as one of the great swings and misses in NFL history that they took Tua over this guy. And listen, you don't apologize for luck. When you are not drafting one overall, you do not control the draft. Anyone who, you know, your team's drafting like 14 or 18 or 23, so much is out of your control, especially if you're not going to trade up. You need a lot of luck. You need a lot of crazy things to happen. I vividly remember working at the radio station, and I was covering the Raiders draft at the Oakland Coliseum with Greg Papa, who was the voice of the Raiders at the time. And we were doing a draft show. And it was like, you know, could they take Sammy Watkins at five? Like Khalil Mack's going to be long gone. If you remember Mike Mayock, ironically now the uh, general manager of the Raiders, had Khalil Mack as his number one overall player over Clowney. And that was pretty polarizing at the time. And Clowney goes one, and then a couple other guys. And then all of a sudden, Buffalo trades with Cleveland and takes Sammy Watkins number four. And Khalil Mack falls into the Raiders' lap. 
Now, it's not as crazy with Justin Herbert because looking back, Justin Herbert was, wasn't viewed as some all-time prospect. But when you really dive in to why I think he was nitpicked, his offensive coordinator, the offensive coordinators the University of Oregon has had over the last couple decades are guys like Jeff Tedford, Chip Kelly, right now Moorhead, the dude from uh, Penn State who's a stud. Even Helfrich was pretty damn good when he was under Chip, right? Justin Herbert had Marcus Arroyo, who is now at UNLV for the last two years. He has yet to win a football game. The University of Oregon has also historically had a lot of talent at the skill positions. Wide receivers, tight ends, running backs. In Herbert's, like especially his junior and senior year, I don't think he played with an NFL skill guy. So he had an offensive coordinator who had no clue what he was doing, and he didn't have any talent around him. So he's a physically he's a physical freak. He's six foot five, six foot six. He's two hundred and thirty plus pounds. He's got a huge arm. He was a four point two student. <laughs> like he's just what more can you ask for? And it's, it it really is nuts. And it's it's not fair to do this because at the time it was like, of course you would take Tua over Herbert. But looking back, it's like you take this little guy from Alabama who's always injured over this physical specimen. Like it's just one of those things that's not going to age very well. And then think about the coach. Think how much luck was involved to make Brandon Staley the Chargers head coach, which, listen, the guy's a big-time coach. I, you know, I was probably critical of him a year ago at the start because everyone's like, oh, this Rams DC. Sometimes I'm just a little counterculture. So I saw everyone going one way. I went the other way. I had a buddy who'd worked with him. Is like, yeah, I think he's a little overhyped. I was wrong. The dude is a star head coach. He's big-time. He's easily right now a top. Now, th- for defensive coordinators, are there really like five or six that you would really want? Probably Max, right? Fangio's one. He's also a head coach. Like it's a short list. Todd Bowles, he's on it. He's a head coach and he's a defensive coordinator. The dude's a stud. But the reason, and they talked a little bit about it on the broadcast, God, the Mannings, we miss you guys. We'd like it if you come back. I saw Eli had a good tweet, like just uh, texting or talking on the phone with Peyton Manning. Uh, kind of missed this. We're all sweaty. It's like, yeah, bro, can you just do every game? But Brandon Staley ends up as the Chargers head coach. Because Sean McVay hires the guy from the Denver Broncos. Well, think about this. Brandon Staley had been in the NFL before that like four years. So it was pretty good like uh, pretty good vision by Sean McVay to get this guy Brandon Staley. In no world did Sean McVay think he was going to lose his defensive coordinator within a year. He was like, this guy was in at John Carroll four years ago. This guy had never coached in the NFL before like 2016. But then he learned from Fangio. He clearly takes good notes. And he's just a really good natural coach. And then the Chargers, who are also in the market, realize, God, this guy's leading the number one defense. God, this energetic coach really kind of, uh, you know, pops in this area, in Sean McVay. Well, what does Brandon Saley bring to the table? He's a really innovative defensive mind. He actually was a college quarterback. And he's highly energetic and intelligent. So they hired him. But if they had been... To me, in a different city, I don't know if it happens. So the element of luck to getting the two most important people in their franchise were Herbert falling in the draft, which looking back, at worst he goes to. And I think, listen, I'm a big Joe Burrow guy, but if I had to choose, and and listen, I'm biased, I like stronger arm quarterbacks, I would take Herbert over Burrow. I wouldn't argue with you if you took Burrow, but it just shows you, looking back, like, how did that happen? Brandon Staley, if I would have told you three years ago he would have been a head coach when he was an outside linebacker coach for Denver, you would have looked at me like I had three heads. So, and listen, you don't apologize for luck. Sometimes it just happens. And the Chargers are benefiting from it. They're 3-1. and 
They just beat the Chiefs. Then they beat the Raiders. Like, they look pretty good. And for the Raiders, I'll give them credit too. To start 3-1 and one with that schedule, like, that's impressive. They look good. They are clearly better than years past. And it might be a little luck on their part, slash, they didn't have any other options, but they just stuck or, or stuck with Derek Carr over the years. And now they're reaping the benefits. Like, he's a really good quarterback. Is he a top five quarterback? Probably not. Is he somewhere between like seven and 11? Yeah. Can you make the playoffs with that guy? Hell yeah. Have they done a great job of surrounding him with a lot of talent? Darren Waller a couple years ago was a guy battling drug addiction. Now, I was texting with a guy in the Chiefs. He's like, yeah, he's right there with Kelsey. The dude's a star. I mean, Darren Waller, how many non-quarterbacks on offense in the NFL would you take over Darren Waller? The list is short. Josh Jacobs, stud. Henry Ruggs coming into his own. You know, Gruden, I give him credit. Like his offense, he struggles a little bit on short yardage, but he's got some conservative tendencies. But I also give him credit. He hired Gus Bradley and the Raiders for the first time in decades can tackle. And I say this all the time. I think sometimes, like to get to the Belichick or Todd Bowles or the Vic Fangio, you know, you dive so deep schematically in defense. To me, the most basic element of defense, if you can do this, you have a chance open field tackle. If you open field tackle and then you get some talent on defense, you'll naturally get a better pass rush or some better coverage. But if you can't open field tackle, I don't care who's playing for your defense, you're going to get torched. And the Raiders, and I've had a front row seat for them for about a decade, they have been the worst tackling team in the league. And now they just tackle. And you can tell they are a credible playoff level squad. Game was awesome. The AFC West is really good. I mean, I think... With Teddy Bridgewater, who got a concussion, the Broncos have a ton of injuries. They're going to come back to earth a little bit. But between the Raiders, the Chargers, and the Chiefs, a little bit like the NFC West. I mean, I, you could probably argue those are two, the two best divisions in football. And honestly, it might not be close. <laughs> Feels like I'm jamming out, baby. Jamming out. Uh, what a beautiful day. Beautiful Monday. And something that went, okay, let's just, let's just dive head first into a man known as Urban Meyer. For those of you that have listened to the show, know that I've been very critical, and I once had a nickname calling Urban Fraud Meyer. And my issue with Urban was always based on his moral superiority and the programs in which he ran. I mean, his program at Florida, murderers, drug dealers, but he, he talked about like life lessons. I was like, Urban, like Saban doesn't talk like that. Just wins and losses, you know, then the hell stuff, whatever. Then when he came to the NFL, my main issue with Urban in the NFL was like, I don't think it's a good fit. And he went to the Jags. I'm like, I, I just don't see it. Clearly it's not going well. Now their team sucks. But as I talked about last week, after the Thursday night game, their coaching staff is pretty embarrassing. Urban Meyer, as a coach, when he coached in college, is an all-time great. He's elite. He also had elite coaching staffs. Dan Mullen, ever heard of him? Like, did pretty good, right? He's at Florida, won at Mississippi State. Like, it's a big-time assistant head coach. Even some of the guys that he had when he was at Ohio State, whether it was Fickle, who's now kicking ass and taking names in Cincinnati, Herman, who, you know, fell apart a little bit at Texas, but was a really good offensive coordinator, speaks for itself. He had high-level staffs, and he was an elite college coach. Comes to the NFL, he feels like he's a little over his head. It's a tactical game, and he's a motivator. And there's nothing wrong with being a motivator. John Harbaugh is too. He has uh, Greg Roman and Wink Martindale. Google those guys' resumes. Pretty good coordinators. It's a tactical game on Sundays. But I was pretty uncomfortable with everything that happened over the weekend. 
I guess it would have been Saturday night. And I think Winston Churchill said this, never trust a man without advice. And I struggle with social media, even though the irony is Instagram and Facebook are down right now. Some weird stuff going in Zuckerberg land. I was flipping around channels last night. The whistleblower was on 60 Minutes. I don't even care, but I was like, I can't even keep up with these social media stories. But ultimately, you see on social media, a lot of people in, you know, I don't even know what my profession is. Uh, I, I talk for money. I, I don't, I'm not a journalist. But a lot of journalists and definitely politicians, they use their platforms on social media to get on this moral high horse. And the louder you get like that, the bigger of a fraud I think you are. The more skeletons you have. There's a big reason I, I don't really get on my moral high horse. I got skeletons too. We all do. I, I have no... Like, I, I try to treat people well and do the right thing, but we all got issues. I like to booze, you know? I mean, who doesn't? It's, it's legal. It's America. So this guy is 0-4, and he stays in Ohio, right? They play Joe Burrow in the Bengals. He stays there, and he goes out with the boys. A night out with the boys. Has a few pops. Like, I, I'm sorry. I, I saw it with my dad, who was not a drinker. Like, I think if he would have drank a little bit, might have relaxed. You know, I, I drink to just chill. And we all have different vices, whether it's marijuana, whether it's yoga, whether it's working out, whatever. It's like he wanted to have a few cocktails. And I believe this to my core. And you see this a lot on Twitter, like when a guy gets drafted and some booger-eating loser that goes through his timeline and goes, do you know what this guy was saying at 15 years old? I'm lucky. I'm about to be 37 uh, this week, actually. When I was that age, right, 15, even through like my 20s, this stuff did not exist. So there is no resume of stupid shit that I'm sure I would have tweeted. I would have been put on videos. It doesn't exist for my generation. But this generation that's now like 22, they've had a decade worth of things to do stupid stuff with social media. When you're 12, when you're 15, when you're 18, you do dumb things. But also when you're older, most of us, and most of us aren't remotely as famous as Urban Meyer. So if we go out and get plastered, no one's taking videos of us without us knowing. I also have a problem with this. I think people assume that the way their relationship is, that the way their marriage is, is the way everyone's marriage is. I have no clue Urban Meyer's marriage. I do not care. I don't judge anyone on what they do inside their home as long as they're not like beating their kids or whatever. But the way that them and their significant other, they can do whatever the hell they want. My parents, I used to, they always, you know, because older people gossip about other people. It's like, I don't care. Let them do what they want. I also think you would be shocked to know the amount of people that do what I think us normal people would consider a little weird or definitely like that. My wife or my girlfriend would not allow that to happen, that they're allowed that to happen. One story that popped, I think like last week, even though I had heard about this probably 15 years ago, because I knew someone that had like worked at his compound with Will Smith. Will Smith admitted that they basically had an open relationship for like decades, him and Jada. And people were like, oh my God, that's crazy. Again, I, I remember hearing this in like the mid 2000s, but the elites and super rich people and even non-rich people, like everyone has their relationships differently. I don't judge anyone on anything, but this notion that he can't go out and have a few vodka sodas, 
like to me and everyone ripping him on Twitter, like everyone ripping him on Twitter is like having cocktails out with their buddies. To me, the whole thing was pretty hypocritical. And then he had to come in and apologize, which I understand why he has to apologize. They're getting made fun of on the internet. But I was uncomfortable with the whole thing. He's not losing. The Jaguars haven't been a joke because Urban Meyer had some cocktails with some, it was in Ohio, so some boosters, some people that he hangs with, whatever. Like, I, I just, I, I, everyone's just kicking him while he's down and acting like, this is not allowed. It's not allowed to go out and have some drinks. It's not allowed. I mean, what was he doing? He wasn't making out the chick. And even if he was, how do you know that his wife wouldn't let him do that? So I, I just, I think the society that we live in, that if your first move is when you see someone, and listen, I, I'm sure before, actually, I don't know if I have. If someone like Urban Meyer, if your first move is to take a video of him without him knowing, I, I'm sorry, I kind of think you're a loser. If, not a video to like show your friends, like look, Urban Meyer's at the bar because he's just there. But if you're doing it to like, I think this is going to go viral because he has some like 25-year-old chick rubbing up on him. Like, I, I'm sorry, I can't relate to that. I, I Someone told me a story the other day. They were on a plane and this lady was all worked up over something stupid, like over the bag over her head or whatever. And she was getting really loud. And right away, this guy pulls out his phone. He's like five feet away and starts filming the lady. Like, and I think that happens all over society. The first move is always phone out film. It's like, how about you just put your phone away and just walk by or just not do that? Is that where we're at? And I'm not naive to think that's going to go away. I just can't relate to that. And I just, I I can't act like Urban Meyer is any different than any of us because he's getting his ass kicked at his job and he wants to go have a few pops. Like, again, if any man without a vice is untrustworthy. And I think most people talking a ton of shit on the interweb would be, would do the same thing. Now, should he have been smarter? Should he have gone to some VIP? Like, I don't know. Everywhere Michael Jordan goes, he has a cocktail and a stogie in his hand. No one cares. It's like, oh, this is Michael being Michael. But Urban, like after he loses, has, you know, two cocktails and it goes viral over the internet. We act like he should like lose his job and he has to apologize a day later. I think the whole thing's stupid. He's not a good NFL coach because he's not a great tactician. Because his team sucks. Because they drafted a first round running back when they had a million other needs. Because his staff isn't any good. But like him out at a bar... Like, there's no story. To me, it's no story. But of course, it's a huge story and he had to apologize. I, I just, I'm at a loss on that one. FanDuel Sportsbook wants you to get the most out of every NFL game day. That's why they're giving everyone a $10 risk free bet every week. All you have to do bet a same game parlay bet with three legs or more. And if your bet doesn't win, FanDuel will pay you back up to $10. So, by the way, I like the Chargers to win and cover against the Raiders, albeit the game. I think it's going to be high scoring. The Raiders have had to come back from big deficits. The last time the Chargers were at home, they lost a game they should have won. I think they'll be really laser focused. I like the Chargers to win and cover the spread. I think Herbert passing yards over 300. How about that? Over 300 yards passing. So there's no feeling like nailing a same game parlay bet. So lock in your bet today on the FanDuel Sportsbook. Get up to 10 bucks back if your bet doesn't win. 
If you're new to the FanDuel Sportsbook, they're also offering a free $1,000 bet if you prefer that. Sign up, promo code Colin, promo code Colin. First bet loses, get up to 1000 bucks back in site credit. That's promo code Colin, C-O-L-I-N. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia, or West Virginia. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in seven days. Max refund, 10 bucks. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbookfanduel.com. Same game parlay available for multiple sports in all states on mobile slash web. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Jersey, and Virginia. Or call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. Tennessee red line is 1-800-889-9789. Or go to 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia. Or call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step. To 53342 in Arizona. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game-changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast NBA DNA with Hannah Storm digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. 
Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I, I, I watched this game today and I was shocked start to finish. And, and I think, you know, for most of us in society, physicality, right? We're, we don't fight. Like the older you get, you don't get in fist fights in your 30s or 40s if you're a grown up with a real job. If you yell at a colleague back when everyone was working, even though I, I think a lot of people are working again. But like as the jobs, right? Like as the uh, the office buildings open up, like you, you can get into an argument with a coworker, and it happens. I've had one, I'm sure. You've had one. It's we're all humans. You don't then shove the guy. There's no physical confrontation, or else you know that becomes a problem. But mentally, like you have to be able to handle if you're an employee getting your and you have a real job getting your ass ripped by your boss, getting screamed at, getting reprimanded, getting told like, hey man, if you don't hit your quota, this is not going to last, right? And I think in my experience especially when I was a kid growing up, my friends' parents that were successful, people in the neighborhood that we knew that were really successful, the most successful people were very mentally tough. And the older you get, like I said, you don't have to be physically tough. But mentally, in this world, everyone acts like it's getting softer and softer. Literally every person I know right now that I am close with in life or that I that I have some relationship with that is successful in their profession and is making a lot of money are mentally tough SOBs. Mentally soft people get destroyed in the real world. And I think in football, it's very similar to society. There just is a physical element. You have to be mentally tough because days are long, weeks are long, the grind is long. You also get yelled at, you get in these confrontations, you get told you're not good enough. So it's mentally taxing. And then as a player, there's also a physical element, right? There's a physical element in basketball, in football, in MMA, like, you know, in baseball, there's not. Obviously, golf, there's not. But in football, there is one man, if you're an offensive lineman, across from you trying to knock you back, and you're trying to do the same to him. If you're a wide receiver, there are several guys trying to tackle you, so on and so on. We all know the risk of playing the sport. You have to be mentally and physically tough to have success in the NFL. It's not even arguable. I'm watching the Cowboys and going, well, they're really talented. They have a ton of talent on offense. Micah Parsons has been one of the best rookies so far this year. He can play like three different positions. He's all over the field. Uh, defensively, they're clearly way better with Dan Quinn. Their special teams is good. Kellen Moore is a stud. <clears throat> Not quite sure what Mike McCarthy is doing. Does, did have that cool sprinkle shirt, sweatshirt. It, I mean, he didn't choose it. Everyone in the NFL was wearing it yesterday. I don't think it's a terrible look. I'd probably rock in my house on like a Saturday, like during the winter if I'm just lounging around. But, like, that team, and this is a knock on McCarthy's teams forever in Green Bay. And it might have been a direct reflection he had poor defensive coordinators. That they were always soft. And it always let them down physically soft. You know, mentally, they had a bunch of talent. But when they got into fistfights against the 49ers over the years, you know, with Harbaugh, and then a couple years ago in the playoffs with Kyle Shanahan, they got shoved around. And I'm watching Mike McCarthy's team with the Cowboys. I'm going, this team's physically tough. Now, a huge part of Mike McCarthy, the knock on Mike for years in Green Bay, 
was philosophically they only wanted to throw the ball. And I was with the Eagles when they beat us in the playoffs. They went on to win the Super Bowl. I'm pretty sure James Starks had like 150 yards. They actually ran the ball pretty well in that playoff run. And that was the one time in Aaron Rodgers' tenure, even to this day, that they got over the hump and they won the whole thing. And you're watching the Cowboys, and we I, I only watched one episode of Hard Knocks, but on that first episode, one thing they harped on was like, Zeke, he's in good shape, changed his diet. You're like, God, he does look pretty good. And, you know, everyone wants to crush Zeke, not because they don't like Zeke. He, to me, he's a pretty likable player. He's got a big personality, does the, you know, feeding himself. Like, I just, I enjoy the player. A lot, just about like, he's the best pass-blocking running back in years in the league. And when he's been healthy in his career, he's an elite player. But I think a lot of people, especially the analytical elites, they love going, you could never pay a running back! Jerry screwed up! And listen, it kind of looked like that last year. It's like, I wouldn't love paying Zeke $15 million a year. But watching him yesterday against Carolina, who, listen, their defense might have been a little overrated based on the schedule, but statistically, they had been one of the better defense in the league. Zeke Elliott ran the ball right down their throat. Down after down after down. And basically, McCarthy and the Cowboys are like, there ain't nothing you guys can do about it. And when you play a guy like Zeke, who it's going to be hard for him to have like a 12-year career because he lowers his shoulder on contact and he punishes defenders. Like it kind of just took the will out of Carolina. And then the Cowboys, they have an incredible passing game. Amari Cooper, baller. CeeDee Lamb, baller. Number one, Wilson, don't know much about that guy. He looks sweet. Jarwin looks good. When you can run the ball like that and you have all this talent on the passing game and your quarterback's good, you're kind of become an unstoppable offense. But physically, early in that game and as the game went on, I felt they kind of broke Carolina. It's like, yeah, you you ain't stopping this guy. He's going to run the ball right down your throat. And it can't be disputed. That's as fast and as quick and decisive I'm not even just talking about the big run, but just talking about like five and seven yard runs. You're like, this is the Zeke from a couple years ago. And if our offense is going to be this good, we got Diggs who looks like Deion Sanders Jr. who's picking balls off every game and their pressure up front's good. Micah Parsons making plays. The two linebackers look good. You know, this team's good. I mean, they're physically tough. They're clearly mentally. I mean, they've gone through a lot. Obviously, Dak Prescott is kind of the heart and soul of the team. Dude comes back from the injury. Uh... Again, not quite sure what Mike McCarthy does. Doesn't call the offense. Obviously, no defense or special teams. But uh, he's just kind of managing the ship. Uh, I was really, really impressed. Because I also think Sam Darnold, who has looked really good this season, you know, especially given that it didn't cost a first-round pick to acquire him. I, You know, if he's the Carolina Panthers quarterback for the next five, six, seven years, and they acquired him for a second-round pick, like, a lot of teams could have had him. The 49ers could have had him. The Jets could have kept them, and we'll see. I mean, there are a lot of, it's impossible to judge it through four weeks. It will be impossible to judge it through a season. But in like three or four years, we're going to be able to look back and go, we talk a lot about, you know, the, the, the profit is made what you pay for it, not what you sell it at, right? So if you sell your home for a million dollars, what'd you buy it for, right? Did you buy it for 400 grand and made $600,000? Or did you overpay at the peak of the market and get it for 895 and actually you only made a little over 100 grand? You make the profit in what you acquire the player for. Look at what the 49ers had to pay to get Trey Lance. Three first-round picks. Three first-round picks. Part of what made Jimmy Garoppolo all those years like such a good deal, it only cost them a second-round pick. So if the Carolina Panthers were able to get, I don't think Sam, Sam Donald's never going to be a top-five quarterback. That's not happening. 
Can he be somewhere in like the seven to 15 range? Like when he's good, be in the, t- be in the single digits. And when he's bad, be like 14, 15. Pretty good shape. I trade a second round pick when I don't have a quarterback for that all day. So my two takeaways were kind of like what I'm seeing out of Sam Darnold. One, DJ Moore's a stud. And God, the Cowboys, Cowboys are for real. If they get this version of Zeke, they are going to be a handful. I said this last week, and I, I said it after the first week, actually, when everyone, and people are asking you, you know, like I go on Gottlieb show, or you're texting with people, like, do you think that Rodgers and the Packers, and it was just a narrative all over social media with all the talking heads, that like, did Rodgers mail in the offseason, doesn't give a shit, now the team's going to be in shambles. And once you only have the one game to go off of, you're like, well, I'm not going to say that's not possible, but I wasn't willing to go there. Not with a player of his stature, not with a team with that much talent, not a team that had just won 26 games. He knows the offense like the back of his hand. Now, maybe they were going to take a step back, but I wasn't going to just be like, it's all over after week one, because they did get their ass kicked. And Roger was probably one of the worst games of his career. But the last three weeks, and I said it after the Niner game, that Rodgers got his mojo back. He looks like the MVP. Like, Rodgers looks like the real deal right now. And when you have arguably the best player in the league, the reigning MVP, one of the greatest players of all time, in the peak of his powers, and watch him against the Steelers, like, he was like, we ain't losing this game. He didn't feel like, you know, you're going to need five, six touchdowns out of me. It's just like, we'll cruise along. I'll throw a couple touchdowns. I'll completely control the place. One thing you really notice, like, watching that game back, is how they mesh the two offenses. Clearly, Rodgers, and I don't blame him, is very comfortable being in the shotgun with like four or five wide. Something that he had a lot of success when McCarthy was the head coach. Basically like a spread passing game, right? Just let Aaron Rod, Peyton Manning used to do this. Let Put it all on my shoulders, I'll pick them apart. Well, the, the Shanahan crew, they don't really run that offense, right? They put the quarterback under center and they slam the ball. They've meshed these two offenses, and really it's a lot of errands, but they have the run game concepts with the Shanahan family, it looks fantastic. As long as Devontae Adams stays healthy, this team is for real. They're 3-1. and one. Their next three games are at Cincy, which is a sneaky harder game now. Joe Burrow, baller. Jamar Chase looks like he's a stud too. But, like, the Packers are winning that game. Then they get at Chicago. Let's face it, they own the Bears. Uh, then they play Washington, who clearly has some issues. Washington was supposed to be like the 85 Bears of defense. They just, I'm, I think the final score of that game was 34 to 30. They played the Atlanta Falcons. The Atlanta Falcons. So I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. You'll look up and the Packers are going to be like 6, 7, and 1. I think the set, I think the game after Washington might be Arizona. So that, that game could be hard. But the Packers have 13 and 4, 14 and 3 written all over them. As long as 12's healthy, as long as 17's healthy, they are just a terror. I mean, uh, the running back, Jones is a good player. Remember they took so much shit in the draft where they took uh, where they took the quarterback, and in fairness, it was crazy. If they could redo that, they would not have taken Jordan Love. We all know that. They would have taken a wide receiver. They would have taken a defender. They would not have taken Jordan Love. And we really don't have that much information based on a couple preseason games, even though I think he got banged up in the one preseason game. Little information. They would know better than any of us on the outside. And I'm not saying that they don't like him. He's not a high-character guy. It seems like Rodgers likes him. But that was a bad pick. And it led to the strife and, you know, the animosity from 12 side. And there might have been more, but that that was a huge part of it. Not debatable. Rodgers admitted it. If you could redo that. But the other team or the other guy that they took a lot of shit for was they drafted A.J. Dillon. 
And it was like, why are they taking a running back in the second round? Well, because they're a run-heavy team, and that's how, you know, in theory, they want to implement the run because that's what the Shanahan guys like to do. And that'll help Rodgers play longer because it'll take the burden off of his shoulders. When he has to carry them, he still can, but we don't want to make him do that week in and week out. And you have to think as a general manager, and you've seen this a lot with Mac Jones, like Mac Jones is the best rookie right now for all the quarterbacks. When I draft a quarterback in the top 10, it's like he should have gone three. I am not drafting him for week four, year one. I, th- this is a 10-year thing. Like this is, this guy's the future of my team. Well, when I draft players in the second, third, and fourth round, a lot of times you're like, this is redundant. You already have that position. Well, two things I learned when I was in the NFL. One, a position of strength can become a position of weakness in the blink of an eye. Snap your fingers in several snaps. The Eagles offensive line week one was easily one of the best offensive lines in the league. Do you know what happened? Do you know what's happened since? Their left tackle, the Australian Trent Williams, sprained his knee in practice. Freak deal. You know, he's been out two weeks. Their left guard, uh, I always screw up his name. He's the hair guy. He has Liz Frank. He's out for the season. Their right guard, Brandon Brooks, who's an all-pro level guy, who missed last year with Achilles, also hurt. So, starting the season, one of the best offensive lines in the league. Three weeks later, all these guys are injured. Three of their five starters are injured. So, you never know when it's going to come. And A.J. Dillon, you draft this, you know, the big running back. Well, you're like, we have Jabal Williams. Well, he's a free agent the following year. And what happened? They let him walk. So, what did they do? They re-signed Jones. They got their second-round running back. I'm watching him against uh, the Steelers. Like, this guy looks pretty good. You know, I remember I had friends in the league when I was texting about that player because I, I don't watch Boston College. They're like, I like that guy. So you always have to think, like coaches get very short, uh, short-term-minded, short right? We're thinking about every coach in the league right now, Monday, is thinking about their opponent on Sunday. Where general managers, maybe they're watching some college guys, maybe they're dealing with their cap guy, thinking about the next couple years. You have to balance it. You have to think big picture. And I think Gudekins does a good job. And it was my beef with like Rodgers. Like, bro, you are not playing for the Jags. You are not playing for the Texans. You are playing for a team that is consistently reloaded. Now, are they perfect? Do they spend enough money in free agency? Of course not. Look at Brady. You think Brady, time and time again, wished Belichick would have been more aggressive? Of course he did. But it can't be argued that Belichick's philosophy worked consistently especially the second half of the decade from like 2011 till Brady left. It worked. Was it perfect? No. Are you going to win the Super Bowl every year? Of course not. Did they have more success than everyone else and probably more than anyone else will ever have again unless you're like the Chiefs and Mahomes and you just maintain this? Yes. So the, the Packers, I thought they, I mean, they're coming. I mean, they're coming. And because they got a quarterback who is just in the peak of his powers, like Tom. You just watch these guys the game's never been easier for them. They have a ton of talent around them. They're smarter than every guy when they enter the enter the field. They just have more experience to go off of. We talk about it a lot. The big thing with the rookie quarterbacks, right, was learn by doing. The more reps you have, the more experience you have to go off of. Whatever you're doing for a job listening to this podcast, you have got if you've done it for 5 years, you are probably way better now in year 4 or 5 than you were year 1 or the first six months on the job. It's human nature. Well, imagine Rodgers now has been in the league since 
16 years. Bray's been in the league 22. Think how much experience they have upstairs. And physically, they both still look like they did in their peak. So the game, and with Rodgers, Devontae's the best wide receiver he's ever played with. And when you think about the running backs he played with, you know, James Starks, uh, I mean, who were his great running backs for all those years in Green Bay? You'd say Jones is the best guy he's played with. It looks like Dylan has a chance to be really good too. Jamal Williams was really good. So he's had really good running backs the last two or three years. I just think the Packers, like the Cowboys, man, it's the NFC. These teams are going to be in the mix right till uh, right till the dust settles in the playoffs. Okay, well, I think I owe an apology. And I'm not too big of a man. I don't get paid to be right or wrong. Paid to entertain. And if I say it, I believe it. Now, that does not mean I'm always right. And as many of you know, I'm wrong sometimes. But I give my opinion. It's an honest opinion based on what I know about football, about what I watch, you know, football that I watch, football philosophies, and, you know, I stand by them. Now, I am open to change, and I am open-minded enough to know that the sport always evolves, and I can't live in the past. And I think football, like society, it's never changed at faster speeds because of technology, how easy it is to steal plays from high school, college. It's never been easier. So I, I am I am not stuck in my ways when I see an avalanche of whatever coming my way. And watching the Rams-Cardinals game, I watched it Monday on the treadmill, and I got to say, I came away, I followed it pretty closely. It was on the same time as the Niners-Seattle game. I didn't even have it. I don't have DirecTV. So basically what I do on Sundays is I watch all the national games that I get. So like Sunday morning was Eagles-Chiefs, locked into that, have a second TV, have on Red Zone. But when you watch Red Zone, you don't get to watch a game. Like the, you know, the Minnesota Browns game. I barely saw any of that. I mean, the score was like 7 to 11, the majority of it. They weren't in the red zone very often. So I don't, you have to go back and watch the game to have a true opinion on it. So I had to watch, though I knew that like the score dictated that Cliff kicked Sean McVay's ass. And then I went back and watched it today when I went to the gym, get a good sweat on, throw the iPad, got a love technology, and I was blown away. They throttled them. So I tip my hat to Cliff Kingsbury, who I, I said in a, in a Twitter video for the volume was going to get worked. I said last week was going to get worked. I thought the Rams would physically manhandle them. And to me, because I bet against that scheme. I bet against the soft scheme. Cliff Kingsbury, I saw it with Chip Kelly on Saturday night. The Arizona State uh, Sun Devils with Herm Edwards they have some flaws, but one thing they are not flawed with is physical talent up front on defense. And they absolutely throttled Chip's scheme. And I was expecting that from the Rams against Arizona. And if you look at the... Cliff had never beat 0-4 against the Rams coming into that game. His record in the division coming into that game was 3-9. and Like, I, my opinion was based on fact. He had never won a big game in his life. People think it's like personal. No, like I, I would want to be friends with the guy. Be an incredible wingman. See how good looking he is? Dad's a former Navy SEAL. Good guy. I just fundamentally, philosophically, look at the sport of football differently when it comes to offense. But I will not dispute right now his quarterback is playing fantastic. Kyler Murray is on a warpath right now of kicking ass and taking names. A.J. Green probably got to take the L there too. 
I thought he was washed. He looks really good. Hopkins, Kirk, like they got a bunch of weapons on offense. They play really fast, and it starts with the quarterback. But the difference in that game was defensively. The Rams' defense kind of laid over, and the Cards' defense, Vance Joseph, another guy I've been critical over the years uh, that I don't think is a great defensive coordinator, took it to McVay. They were hitting that. I mean, physically, the Rams matched the NFC West level of physicality that typically they can't. Seattle, San Francisco, and the Rams. They like getting in the ring in a heavyweight fight. They like getting in the ring like Chuck Liddell, like my guy Chad Mendez from Cal Poly, who got in the ring with Connor, who got in the ring with Aldo. They, they like that shit. They, 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 these games, they like being physical, even when, quote-unquote, Seattle, right, has been a little loosey-goosey on defense. They yearn for a guy like Jamal Adams, who's a flawed player, but he will crush you. Like, that's what those teams like. And I looked at Arizona, I'm like, I don't see that. They brought it. They, they were they were wiping dudes out. Cooper Cup got hit on a ball across the middle. Fantastic catch. It was like, damn, he got blasted. So I, I tipped my hat to the Arizona came to play. I thought, you know, they're 3-0. and You go 3-1 and in a, in, a, in a month. You're in great shape. You know, you're playing at the Rams. No one's expecting you to win. You're not that the teams care that much. You know, a five-point underdog, whatever. Even though you're both undefeated. The Rams coming off a big win in Tampa. I didn't think it would be close. And it wasn't close. Arizona mollywhopped them. Absolutely destroyed. At one point, it was like 24 to 13. I remember I'm going away like, you know, my 9.0 little sprints, little 30-second intervals. And I'm thinking to myself, this score does not indicate this game is not that close. And then they ended up getting, you know, in the second half, a stuff on a, on a goal line stand. Arizona takes it right down and scores. And the blowout was on. You know, once we got to like midway through the fourth quarter, it was like they they kicked their ass. And the one red flag I'd have, and listen, I'm a Matt Stafford guy. I think Matt Stafford is a big time player. And they got down, so they had to let it rip down the field. But he will, you know, he's got some of the, and I'm not comparing, he's not as good as this guy, but some Farvian throw it into some places like, what the hell are you doing? Now, I still believe that Kyler Murray, now he's hard to catch right now. He is operating at warp speed completely different speed than everyone else chasing him. It is, it's fun to watch. If you just like fun on the football field, watch Kyler and watch Arizona. And those receivers, they're making plays. They got speed everywhere. It's like, Jesus, this team's fast. If he gets tossed to the ground, now he's fantastic at it. When I was with the Eagles, Michael Vick's big problem was he couldn't avoid hits. He didn't know how to slide. He just wasn't smart with his body. And like, Mike, no one questions your toughness. You are one of the toughest dudes in the league. But when you take these hits from defenders, I don't care how big or small they are, you're going to eventually get hurt. He would crack ribs and get these deep thigh bruises, and it would slow him down. Kyler, this is where it's like, well, maybe he is on a little different level than some, even Lamar. He avoids way more hits than those guys. He's got this cool little baseball slide. He gets out of bounds. He's really smart with his body. I mean, I am... I am not some Kyler Murray, uh, you know, anti-Kyler Murray, I guess. Like, I, I, I am not one of those guys that think, like, people are going to catch up to him. If he can avoid the hits, which last year he got slammed on the ground and it threw him off, eventually someone's going to get him. And that's what concerns me. Because if he's rolling like this, they are a terror. Because they operate at a speed that you can't, like, in fairness to the Rams, like, thinking about it after I watched that game, I just went, well... They throttled Brady last week. You don't have to worry about chasing Brady around. 
even you saw in the Sunday night game, like he takes off kind of, he runs like me or you, but Kyler, all of a sudden it's like, you know, I'm going to go left. And then he's like, Whoop. And he's all of a sudden he covers 20 yards in the blink of an eye. You're like, Holy shit, this guy's moving. And he, and Kyler, he's kind of got this Deshaun Watson to him. Well, even when he's scrambling now, he's way faster. One thing Deshaun Watson, if he ever plays football ever again, uh, is fantastic at when he scrambles around behind the line of scrimmage, his eyes are always up. So he's always ready to throw. Kyler can do both, right? Because he can take off and he's so fast, but he's, his eyes are kind of always up and he's always willing to just throw a BB or a dart for a completion. So Cliff, owe you an apology. That was a big time win. First of your career, but hey, everyone gets a first sometimes, you know, it's seven, eight years into your career, but you know, you were at Texas Tech, so I, I can't totally hold it against him. Losing to Oklahoma, losing to Texas, losing all those teams. But since he's been in the NFL for two years, especially last year, right, they were in position to make the playoffs, and he got beat when it really mattered. And now he's kind of like last year. He can stack a bunch of wins, give yourself a little wiggle room late in the season. Because you get to, they play the 49ers this week, who Trey Lance is surely going to start. Like, the the cards are going to be probably a seven-point favorite. Now, he is one and three against the Niners in his career. So, and last year, the Niners, with a with a beaten up ragtag group, they had been kicked out of the uh, of Santa Clara County because of the uh, California elites and the coronavirus. They said, get the fuck out of here. We're not allowing you to play. And they still took them down. So, you know, this is a game that you would think Arizona, Kyler, and Cliff definitely are going to get up for, even at 4-0 and with the Niners leaking oil. But it's... Yeah, I, I was I was wrong, so I'm going to take the L on this one. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. 
you'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, just a couple other rapid-fire things that I saw this weekend. Uh, It was against the Lions. And the Lions are probably, I mean, they're going to compete to have the number one overall draft pick. The problem's going to be for them, there's probably not a quarterback in this class. I think that's part of why they got Jared Goff. Just listen, we'll pay the guy $60, $70 million for a couple of years. He's just going to get us through. We're going to lose a lot of games. We'll just keep building this thing up because they might have the number one overall pick. And there is not a quarterback worthy of the number one pick that I've seen. Honestly, it's not even close. But Justin Fields bounced back, made some big plays. I mean, they were popping up way more than they usually do on the Red Zone channel, pushing the ball down the field. Obviously, they ran the ball really well. Uh, But again, the Lions are not good. I mean, the Lions made the Niners offense look like uh, the 07 Pats. So I'm not trying to diminish. It's a win's a win. This is the NFL. There are no style points. You just got to get in. You got to get out with more points on the board than the other team. You know, it was probably a little closer than they would have liked. But anytime you get some confidence for a player, he made a deep throw down the field. He made another deep throw and like a deep out from across the hash. He just made a couple throws that went, that is a big time talent. Now, I'm recording this part before the Monday night game, but regardless what happens to the Raiders, they're playing the Raiders next week. And just a couple years ago, they played the Raiders in London. Chase Daniel had to start and they got their ass kicked. So it's a good test for Justin Fields. The Raiders defense has been a lot better you got to score points because the Raiders can score. Um, it, it'll be, uh, you know, just see. One thing you want to see with these younger quarterbacks, like can you stack on the games? So can you be better than you were last week? You know, it, there's going to be ups and downs. You're not going to be perfect. But can you improve week to week? And as anyone knows, I'm a big uh, Justin Fields guy. Vic Fangio, who watched a little bit of that game this morning, the Ravens, once they hit that big play to Marquise Brown, they were just, you know, the, the Broncos were not going to be able to score with them. And in fairness to them, Jerry Judy, who's a top 15 pick, is 
you know, has a, not a broken ankle, but a high ankle sprain. KJ Hamler, their speed demon, tore his ACL last year. I mean, they're down two of their best receivers. So not that like I would have bet on the Ravens this week, but they got shoved around. And then Fangio's mad at Harbaugh because he ran the ball late in the game. Even though it's a little weird because Fangio is a Jim Harbaugh guy. Maybe he just doesn't like John. Maybe just heat of the battle. Maybe Vic's just an old curmudgeon, you know? Uh, I, I never have a huge problem with teams running plays. You know, in baseball sometimes, it's like, you're not allowed to steal when you're up seven runs. Like, this is pro sports. This ain't Little League. We ain't teaching life lessons. Like, if you don't want them to steal, if you don't want them to shoot a three down 40, like, don't be down 40. Don't be down 10 runs. Don't be getting worked by Lamar Jackson. You know, that's that's a you problem, not them problem. I understand it in high school sports. I understand it in youth sports. But to me, at the Power 5 level in college basketball and football, in the National Football League, in Major League Baseball, and the NBA, I have zero tolerance for that. This is a bottom line business. We're trying to kick everyone's ass. We get paid to win. And so it's like, I I don't have, I, I, I can't support Vic Fangio here, even though I like Vic Fangio. Speaking of the Harbaugh's, Jim Harbaugh, you know, it was pretty ugly this offseason. He had to take a pay cut. A pay cut. Now, uh, they're kind of getting their swag back. Now, Wisconsin's not very good. But they kicked their butt. Harbaugh has a team that is perfect for the way he wants to play. He has two sweet running backs. They slam the ball down people's throat. Because they have two legit, probably second-round level running backs. Quarterback, not great. But he doesn't have to do that much. And really, when you look at the conference, now Ohio State's, I think, kind of getting their mojo back. They have so much offensive firepower. Iowa plays a lot like Jim Harbaugh. Uh, I think Iowa plays Penn State this week. But I think Jim is, you know, poised for a 10-2, and 11-1 type season. I still don't think they have enough firepower to beat Ohio State. But you never know. Like, it's you think eventually they're going to clip them. But it's good to see Jim, a guy whose career I've followed very closely for the last decade plus, just not be a laughingstock anymore and do it the way he wants to do it. He kind of like, he's meshed the spread with the run game. Uh, You got to give the Giants and the Jets the biggest media market in America. The Giants are one of the most lucrative franchises in the league. The Jets kind of get talked like that, even though they're not. But both of them been pretty embarrassing this year. Going into yesterday, they were 0-6. The Giants playing the Saints. The Jets playing the Titans to playoff. <clears throat> you know, the Titans probably just make the playoffs because their division stinks. Saints, we'll see. But they won. Both teams won in overtime. So the Jets and the Giants finally got a win on the board. Uh, Joe Judge, he doesn't have to make his coaches run this week. You got Robert Sala, just big time positive mojo, always propping guys up. His quarterback has kind of been a laughing stock. Zach Wilson made a... I mean, one of the best plays of the day yesterday. No one disputes his talent, his arm talent, his ability to push the ball down the field. My question with the Jets, like, I just don't see that much talent. But to just have a game where you keep fighting, playing a team, you know, that's just expected to probably win 10 games. Now, they were missing A.J. Brown. They were missing Julio Jones. But shit, you don't. The Jets are missing a ton of players. So to get that win in overtime, both those two teams, uh, seeing Saquon Barkley celebrate, seeing the Jets celebrate, like, Winning's fun. You know, the whole point of this sport for the for all the stats and how many yards you have and what's your scoring defense, none of that shit matters when you don't win the game. 
You'd be like, well, we're doing this well, we're doing this well. The point of the sport, why the players get all this money, why coaches now get all this money, why the, like, you got to win games. So anytime you start, you know, start snowballing on you, you go, are the Jets going to start like 0-10? You know, like last year, are, are the Giants just going to be a two-win team? And still, both those two teams, you know, I if I put the over-under on wins for both, would probably be around three and a half. You know, three and 14, four and 13 kind of feels right. But, you know, it's you get a win early October. Maybe you get a couple more wins, you know, before December starts. You go, you know, maybe get five or six, best case scenario. And you, and you build on it. Uh, the, the thing is, the Giants are going to need a quarterback. The Jets obviously don't. But the, the Jets and the Giants aren't winless any longer. Okay, let's do uh, Middlecoff Mailbag. At John Middlecoff is the Instagram that is now no longer down. Had to wait a little bit because I didn't know if Zuckerberg was just going to mail it in. And Instagram was going to go down forever. I would have been really sad. I'm a, I'm a sucker for Instagram. Partly because I like interacting with you guys. Like scrolling. I, got, I, got, I, I enjoy a good scroll. You know, way too many times a day. Keeps me entertained. Let's start with uh, Throw and Fades. Hey, John, found you on Twitter a couple years ago. Uh, back during the Warriors-Cavs final. Good times. Warriors kicked their ass. I know Kyle is a top play caller in the league, but he is a bit overrated as a head coach. Seems like every year they are underperforming beside the Super Bowl year, uh, and the media seemed to anoint him as the next Belichick. That was a coward take, even though I, you know, I thought it had some possibilities. Uh, he got time with Lance Pick, but if he doesn't make the playoffs this year, is he on the hot seat for 2022? I would say no for 22 because he just signed a six-year contract after the Super Bowl year, so he's in year two of six. Like, he's just not going anywhere. Who who else would they hire? But he hasn't been good. He's had a rough year. You know, he has had a rough year. And Trey Lance, I actually just watched back uh, the second half of that game, was terrible. Now, like Justin Fields last week, or actually even different, because this guy didn't know he was going to start, comes in at halftime, it looked bad. He wasn't seeing the field. He was inaccurate. He had a loopy release. He scrambled a little bit in a couple of his plays. One was a busted coverage, and the other he hit use check a couple times. They were like schemed plays. So it's a little concerning. <laughs> but I'm going to take a deep breath. I'm going to give it a week because I like Trey Lance when I saw him in practice. But practice is a different animal than the regular season. Game plans, Jamal Adams chasing your ass. Guy's not open. This is this is the big leagues. Uh, his talent is immense, but he had a, the loopy release made me a little nervous just watching that. I know you covered it a little bit on October 3rd. I haven't heard today's yet. I think Arizona needs some love. 4-0, I did give him love. I'm also pleasantly happy with Mac Jones. I know he's up and down, but as a rookie, he's showing progress. And if if he can hit the draft offense, which is a lot to ask, oh, if he can hit the draft on offense, they'll be a contender. Mac Jones is solid. And I've seen a lot of this like, the Patriots, they got the best quarterback in the draft. No one ever argued that Mac Jones was the most, beside Trevor Lawrence, the mo- obviously the Patriots would trade Mac Jones for Trevor Lawrence. Like, they would do that yesterday. But no one, including myself, was arguing Mac Jones wasn't ready-made for 2021. You don't draft a guy in the top 15. I mean, they drafted him 15. But the guys that went 2, 3, and 11 for week four, you draft him for the next decade. That's the point. You draft him for the next decade. And there's a lot of pressure on these coaches to coach these guys up, to develop them. There's pressure internally on those own guys. 
Like part of why Brady and Manning and Drew Brees were so, had such great careers, obviously had great coaching. They were so driven. They worked so hard on their craft. They, no balance. You know, obviously they have a little family time, but other than that, it's it's football, 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 365, 24-7. If you're not going to do that, you're not going to be a great player. Period, point blank, end of story. So Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Mac is already like that. He doesn't have those guys' physical attributes. Those guys, what Mac clearly has is study habits. Like Mac maxes out on all that shit from what I've heard around people at Alabama. I'm not saying these guys don't, but I'm I'm confident Mac will be like that moving forward with Patriots and Belichick and Josh McDaniels. Will Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, and Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence attack football in in April like it's October? You got to be sick. I, I I don't. I, I try to articulate this. I don't think people truly understand the definitely any coaches listening to this. You guys get it. How crazy coaches are. And how crazy the top players at quarterback are. It's maniacal. It's addiction. Like when you hear Elon Musk, how much he loves work. Like it's that level. These guys are freak shows. I have never loved something in my life as much when I worked for Pat Hill and I worked for Andy Reid as much as those guys love football. Maybe my parents, beside my parents and my my immediate family. But I, it's not just I love it. It's it's It encompasses your life. You have to just be, again, I, I, I'm not doing justice articulating what an addict you have to be with football to be great. There's no way around it. We all make fun of Gruden. Like, Gruden ain't alone. Gruden's like most high-level coaches in the league. They ain't working nine to five. They aren't just screwing around in March, you know, or July. I guess July they vacation. But other than that, like, these guys and the Brady, all the top quarterbacks, Rodgers, to get that good, like how much time, he said it last week, like how romantic, how much he loves football. You got to be an addict, man. You got to be an addict. That's why I'm better off in this profession because I never truly, I liked football and clearly I've made a profession about talking about it, but I didn't love it enough to just be in at 365, 24-7. It bores me at times. It never bores Brady. It never bores Andy Reid. It never bores Saban or Belichick. Ever. Russell Wilson. Zero boredom. Everyone listening, unless you're a coach or play in the league or did play in the league, it bores you. I promise. <laughs> she just, we're, most of us are humans. So, long way to go. Would it be dignified for the Big Ben to retire midseason? Can you recall a quarterback of his status doing that? The team as a whole isn't very good, but it's evident he's playing afraid behind a pathetic offensive line. His fail from prominence seems epic. See, I don't know. I mean, he once he tore his arm and he had the Tommy John, I kind of wrote him off. <laughs> to me, once that happened, I, I don't think it's an epic fall from grace. He was really good, and then he had a devastating injury on top of him getting old, and it's just over. Like, that's, that's normal sports. Would he retire midseason? Doesn't he make like $30 million? So if you if you retire midseason, like, you not get the other $15 million? <laughs> Like, if I'm him and I'm already in this deep and we're already up paddle with, you know, or we're already up the stream without a paddle and it's not looking pretty, I stumbled upon, I think on Amazon Prime or Netflix, this uh, documentary of these dudes that whitewater raft. Insane. I mean, at, on kayaks in the whitewaters. One of them did in Africa 
It's one thing to do it in like Colorado or, you know, some of these places where there aren't, I don't know, hippos, alligators, and anacondas. It it was the craziest thing I've ever seen. I I can't, I mean, I can't even fathom. There is no amount of money. One, whitewater rafting doesn't do much for me, but to whitewater raft in like uh, Nigeria with what is in that water, if you're like, hey, John, $100 million, I'm like, well, what if the alligator grabs my arm and I don't know, eats me? So I don't know how I got off on topic, but I, I would not, the money factor for Big Ben. I think I just wanted to talk about that show. I, I, I got in this argument with this guy on Twitter yesterday. I, I, I tweeted out after the game, Kyle Shanahan's having a bad season. You can be a good head coach. I think Kyle Shanahan is a dynamic head coach. I've been around him. I've seen his team practice for years. I've seen the culture of guys. I am I, impressed with Kyle Shanahan. And I can say he's having a rough three-week stretch. Like, I'm sorry, when you're the head coach and a guy fumbles the ball at the goal line, like, that's a reflection of you. That guy's still on the team today. Like, Belichick in his prime cuts that guy. Like, how does that reflect George Kittle, who's playing at like 50%? Nick Bosa, who's laying it all on the line. Trent Williams, whose shoulder's hanging off one arm, trying to block for people. Like, Debo Samuel playing his ass off. Like, I'm sorry, it's a cutthroat business. Sometimes when you fuck up and you're a nobody, I cut you to set the tone for the locker room. Not because I think guys aren't trying, but just this will not be tolerated. This will not be tolerated. It happens all the time in the private sector. Like, you don't hit a quota, you don't have a job. You you either get the job done or you don't. Now, obviously, there's more leeway for better players, right? If you're Jamal Adams, if you're George Kittle, if you're DeAndre Hopkins, you can screw up and it's not that big a deal. But when you're the last guy in the roster, in special teams only, and you muff a kickoff, then pick it up, and then fumble it, like I'm so, after you already screwed up rolling into the end zone on a punt that should have been down at the one, like you might be a great guy. It's no reflection of you as a human. We judge you on Sundays. Like if, if I was the GM and John Lynch, I know he's not in charge. Like we're, we're releasing the guy. We're cutting the guy to just show the locker room like losing is not going to be accepted. And I think sometimes teams, like, you're not the Chiefs. Like, you haven't gone to the playoffs every year. Like, you guys have been to the playoffs one time. And I know Kyle's very player-friendly, and luckily a lot of his guys, like, I don't need to worry about Fred Warner, Bosa, Trent Williams, Kittle, like, Debo. Those guys handle their shit on their own. But a lot of guys in the league, like, you kind of do. And I just, like, I'm into, you know, drawing a line in the sand when someone screws up and he's a nobody. Like, let's, we can churn the end of the roster when we're not winning. What college coaches are on the NFL radar? Matt Campbell, who I think is, he's already got two losses this year. <clears throat> Brian Kelly, who just lost to Cincinnati. That game, Cincinnati's good. Like, I, I watched a decent amount of that game. Cincinnati's a good team. They're really good. They were faster. They were just better than Notre Dame. Uh, I haven't thought much about it. I think Lincoln Riley's still probably number one on everyone's list. You know, Brian Kelly's like 60 years old. Hell, he might even be older than that. Let me look up how old Brian Kelly is. If Brian Kelly is like 62, like I'm not hiring, he's 59. He's a really good college coach. I'm not hiring a 60-year-old guy who's never coached in the NFL to coach my NFL team. Like this, it's one thing to hire Bill Walsh at 60. He'd been in the NFL. Like I'm not hiring a guy who's been in college for three, four decades. 
I'd have to think about that. I think Ryan Day will stay on people's radars. Ryan Day, Lincoln Riley would probably be the two guys that I would think of. Great seeing a local guy. I'm from Sacramento. Thriving in the business. Thriving to be strong. We're doing, we're doing well. We're still trying to grow. You know, we got high standards here. Uh, to me, like, Rogan's thriving. Coward's thriving. You know, Middlecoff, he's just, he's plugging along. As I sit here, I just went third person. That's bad. I shouldn't do that. As I sit here watching Seattle once again dismantle the Niners, I can't help but wonder about Kyle Shanahan. It seems as though he's anointed by local and national media as one of the brilliant coaches. I, too, have bought that narrative. He appears to make bad choices at critical points in the game. Predictable play calling, bad clock management. It can be argued that he blew two Super Bowls. See, he was not the head coach. Like, I'm sorry, Dan Quinn has to tell him, run the fucking ball. Like, I, I think Kyle gets pinned on the Atlanta Falcons. Like, he's not the head coach. His goal is to score points until the coach tells him, like, as an assistant coach, you work for the head guy. He's at the top of the pyramid. You know, the, you ever seen the, the movies on mobs? And the, when the FBI is chasing the mob and they have that little chart, you know, in their headquarters of like the hierarchy and the top guy is always, the head of the family is always on the top. And then there's the lines to everyone else. The, the, the OC is not at the top. Like, I, I defend Kyle on that one. The Chiefs Super Bowl, that's on Kyle. Right, I mean, it's on the whole team. It's on starts and ends with Kyle because he's the head coach. The Atlanta Falcons won. I'm sorry, that's Dan Quinn. No head coach in the history of the league has ever got off more scot free on a on a disastrous loss than Dan Quinn. He just gets pinned on Kyle. Is Shanahan an overrated coach? Is he getting a pass? Yeah, I mean, I hit on it again. I, I I don't think he's an overrated coach. I think he is a dynamic coach. I think he's had a rough couple week stretch. I really do. Beside the Lions game, you know, he just, and, and maybe it's Jimmy. Maybe just at the end of the day, I hear like, oh, this, someone's tweeting at me. Like, there's guys open. They're just not executing. What, it, everything falls under the head coach's umbrella. As Belichick says, you're either coaching it or allowing it to happen. So when guys are open, but your quarterback can't pull it off, that's on you for putting him in that situation that he might not be able to pull off. Like, I, I, that, that starts and ends with the coach. It's a tactical league. It's a coaching league. And I think sometimes these coaches, like Kyle Shanahan, U.S. McVay, all these guys, he's genius. Like, his football IQ is through the roof. I think sometimes in the season, he gets tunnel vision. He's like game planning, next game. It's like, bro, you are the head man. So you need, to, you need to spend some time with Trey Lance. You need to develop him. You need to try to coach Jimmy Garoppolo up. Like, you need to do a lot of different things. It's hard being a head coach and calling the plays when your offense sucks. Matt Nagy has taken so much shit because his offense sucks. While I'm watching Kyle Shanahan, we don't give you cookies and ribbons for a lot of yards. You either score touchdowns or you don't. I watched the the uh, Cowboy game. Both teams scoring a bunch of points. Like, you got to score some points. The Niners had a garbage time touchdown. The final score to me was 28-14 or 13. Like, I, I don't blame Kyle for Robbie Gold getting injured in warmups and them having to use the punter. So when the punter misses field goals, that's... That, that could happen to anybody. That could happen to Bill Walsh, Belichick, Andy Reid, Parcells. No one's fault. So I don't judge you on missed extra points or missed field goals with your punter. But I do judge you on not being able to get in the end zone. Like, you got to have some plays dialed up if you're some offensive genius with Jimmy and then do some stuff with Trey. Trey got in there. He, he looked like he hadn't even practiced. I, I It's crazy how bad he looked. Now, I, I'm going to give him benefit of the doubt. He, You know, you come in mid-game. But this game against Arizona, like, he's going to get judged. 
Last week, you mentioned Oklahoma chanting for the backup quarterback showed how much it matters. I'm a like lifelong Husker fan and can relate. Nebraska was 2-3 and three going into the North- Northwestern game this past week, and this was the end of the third quarter. We're up 49-7 to and still 90K in the stands. Curious your perception of Nebraska. Well, my perception of the program is different from my perception of the... Uh, of the passion for the fan base. You guys have a massive fan base because a lot of people, anyone, you know, my age, mid thirties and older, they witnessed greatness. They saw Tom Osborne. They saw Tommy Frazier. They saw Lawrence Phillips. Like it was sweet. I vividly remember it in the late nineties, watching that team dominate. There's a reason people my age and you hear a lot of people in the media, like they, they love like, Oh, the, you, and, you know, you know, Florida State, like, guys, it's been a while. Florida State actually was good with Jimbo. But the U hasn't been, I, I, I read a story today, the U has not been ranked in the top 10. Maybe it was the top five. Might have been the top five. I actually think it was top 10. Since 2003. But, like, if you talk to people my age or older, like, we have such fond memories of the U. Jimmy Johnson, Snellenberger, Erickson, hell, even Larry Coker, all their sweet players. How could you not? But it hasn't been like that for almost 20 years. The majority of my life in my youth, Alabama was irrelevant. They weren't that good. Now Nick Saban is going to be something that people younger than me, you know, if you're like 15, if you're 25 now, for the last 10 years, coming into your own, 13, 14, 15, as a sports fan, you're going to view Alabama. So if in like 30 years they become shitty, people will still talk about them. Like, you know, you guys just haven't been that good. (laughs) But I'm with you. The passion, uh, if you work in sports, whether it's football, basketball, or baseball, there's a reason you want to work for the Yankees. There's a reason you want to work for the Cowboys, right? Or be the head coach or a player. Or you know, be on the 49ers or Alabama football or Ohio State football or Duke basketball or Kentucky basketball. It just means more. So Nebraska, you guys have something pretty special. To me, the question is, how do you get the players there? How in that conference do you compete? I don't know. I don't know if it's possible. Beating the crap out of Northwestern, that's pretty impressive. But how do you compete with Iowa? How do you compete, you know, Michigan, Wisconsin? I know they're down, but obviously Ohio State, Penn State. Like, if if you can't even belong on the field with those teams, it's like, well, you got no chance to probably ever, like, make the playoffs, which obviously right now you don't. And I, I think a major mistake Scott Frost made was sticking with Adrian Martinez all these years. Uh, And I think coaches, you know, the best coaches are able to balance emotion and objectivity. So it's like, hey, I I get Adrian Martinez, probably a great kid. I bet Scott Frost loves the guy. I I mean, I'm just guessing this, but maybe he's like the type guy, like I want my son to grow up to be like. That's sometimes you can be too close to the fire. We're like, well, I've watched him a lot, Scott. He can't, he's not that good. Maybe he's playing a little better now, but this is year four. Like you've wasted a lot of time. There's a reason you're on the hot seat. So you got you got to be able to balance that, and I think it's tough for a lot of a lot of coaches in general, young and old, because they're so close with these players. It's Belichick's greatest attribute, like you know, close with you one day, cut you the next. Yeah, I know you can't cut anyone in college, but make tough decisions. Like you're not the starter. Saban did it. Like I'm sorry, Jalen, you took us this far. We're going with Tua, and it worked. Uh, appreciate everyone listening. Have a great week. Uh, keep sliding in those DMs at John Middlecoff. You can find this podcast exclusively on the 3 and Out feed for those of you listening on Colin's feed. 
on Mondays every week, a little shorter, it's like 30 minutes. And uh, appreciate everyone. Talk to you later this week. Peace. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.